Crimson Rolair and personal log. I think I made a friend. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Reengage, the <laughs> weekly podcast where we watch and discuss episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. Our cultural bridge officers dissect each episode, as well as the pop culture and world events that took place when it first aired. We're a bunch of adults returning to the series we loved as kids to see how it holds up. So let down your guard and let's re-engage. Hello and welcome to this episode three of season five, Ensign Row. My name is Kate Yeager. I am your host today. We're looking at uh, Stardate 45076.3. I'm gonna welcome my cultural bridge officers. Welcome, uh, Eric Curry. How are you? I'm doing well. Hello from Mumbai. I'm still here. I'll be here for another couple weeks. Uh, I'm excited to get into this one. I'd forgotten how much I love Michelle Forbes. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Greg Tito, how do you Hi. do? I do good. I do good. I'm, I'm, I'm watching this episode and I'm realizing I need a haircut. So I need to go to a, 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 blue, <laughs> a blue man. Yes, the tiny little hairs that he has left. Uh, Jimmy G, how are you? Uh, I am very well. I'm hot as hell. Ugh. About this episode. <laughs> oh. Nicely done. Uh, I mentioned the star date already, but our on-planet date was October 7th, 1991. Greg, what was happening in the world? So much stuff that is relevant today. Uh, uh, October 7th, the same day this aired, uh, child star Adam Rich from Eight is Enough was arrested for stealing hypodermics. Uh, Adam Rich, uh, he, America's little brother, I'm told that he was called uh, for his role on Eight is Enough. Um, but in researching this, I realized he was also a voice actor on the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon, and he's not Bobby the Barbarian. He was Presto the Magician, so that makes no sense to me. <laughs> uh, but also on this date in 1991, something very relevant to what's going on in the Supreme Court uh, occurred. A uh, New York Times report, law professor Anita Hill publicly accused Supreme Court nominee Clarence Thomas of making sexually inappropriate comments to her. Because he did it. Because he did. Yes, exactly. I remember the pubic hair on the Coke was uh, uh, talked about quite a bit. I don't know why that specific detail is what is uh, cemented in my 11 year old brain or however <laughs> old I was when I heard this, but I think it's because you were 11. <laughs> I'm like pubic hair. <laughs> she said it in a in a in a thing. And then that, that was so she made that publicly and then four days later she testified in front of uh the uh, judiciary committee about all of the awful things he did and then they were like you know what let's have him on the court for 30 years it'll be great no no nothing wrong could happen um, and he but never did days... anything skeezy again so it's never. all fine <laughs> yeah he was never paid anything or has houses or anything um fuck that was... judge fuck that judge Slightly better news, uh, a couple days before this aired on October 4th, the San Jose Sharks play their first NHL game. Uh, they were they were a real team. They were sharks from Southern California, <laughs> but they they lost to Vancouver uh, four to three. Central, central at best. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's it. Fantastic. Well, in the world of pop culture, 
Number one on the charts for music was Emotions by Mariah Carey. You've got me feeling emotions deeper than I ever dreamed of. And then the rest of it is so high that uh, you can't hear it. So why would I even bother? I love that all three of us were, were I think, on the beat there. Uh, moving that was amazing. And it was very, uh, yeah, uh, modular head movements. It was very nice. It was SNL <laughs> sketchy. Yes, yes. It was a little Night at the Roxbury, for sure. Uh, the number one movie continued to be The Fisher King. On television, Jennifer Lopez joined the cast as one of the fly girls on the Fox sketch series yes. In Living Color. I wanted to be a fly girl real bad. True story. Um, and that superseded my previous uh, dream when I was a child of being a hee-haw honey. So <laughs> Ooh, yeah. <laughs> George Clooney was once uh, the uh, boyfriend of a, a long-term hee-haw honey. Oh, my. Oh, my. While he was on the uh, Life. And in sad news, Red Fox died of a heart attack at the age of 68 on the set of the television show, The Royal Family. And at first, uh, people thought that it was a bit because of how he had yeah. used that clutching of the chest throughout his career. Um, so just a tragic, tragic loss there. Uh, kind of funny. That's kind of funny, right? Is that, I know it's the things going through his actually... head while it's happening and nobody's believing him like, ah. But, uh... There's a bit of ironic uh, completion there. Like, yeah. yes, it's definitely. I had an ironic completion once. <laughs> <laughs> you and Doug Flutie. I might. Uh, and in the theater world, On Borrowed Time opened at Circle on the Square for 99 performances. And that's what was happening in pop culture. Do, 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 do. Yeah. Yeah. Our episode has a teleplay by Michael Piller, a story by Rick Berman and Michael Piller again, and directed by Les Landau. Jimmy, what was happening behind the scenes? Well, sit back, kids. Woohoo. Because there's a lot to go over here. So, in comparing Road to the stock crew, Rick Berman uh, once said the other characters are homogenous. Some might even say bland. So uh, he wanted to introduce a strong, edgy character with a past. And who better than Dara, Timison's daughter from Half-Life, uh, Michelle Forbes. So they invited her back to take on that ro role. Um, Eric, are you going to mention anything about Harley Venton, one of our guest stars? I am going to skip Harley Venton, so if you would like to go for All right. It, well, you see him twice in this episode. His name is never mentioned, but he is uh, in the script called Collins. Uh, and, but in episode 211, the same actor will reprise the role where he is named Hutchinson. Uh, this episode begins the world building of the Bajor, uh, which lays the groundwork for DS9. Um, and if you remember uh, from this episode, Roe served aboard the Wellington, which is the ship that the Binars uh, upgraded in episode 11001001. <laughs> um, and the footage 
from the Starbase 74 from 11001001 was actually used in Star Trek 3, The Voyage Home, and is used again in this episode to represent, uh, to, uh, represent the Star Station. So uh, a lot of recycling there. I will say that Harley was the original choice to play David Addison in Moonlighting. I was going to bring that up, but I, I did not. Yes. Wait, what? Well, that's crazy. You could. That hasn't happened yet. <laughs> well, but I'm not going to remember his name by the time we get there. Uh, all right. Pressing on because there's a lot here. The extra ridge above the nose was later dropped for the Bajorans. Uh, and the term itself, Bajora, is only used twice more. Um, by the time we get to DS9, they just simply they, they settle on Bajorans as the plural uh, for those people. Um, we learn in this episode that the Cardassians... Uh, have occupied Bajor for 40 years in DS9. That'll be actually 50 to 60 years. Um, and there's an interesting little backstory about uh, the whole Ro-Laren in using um, the the uh, the surname first. Um, it is only in this episode that they, they follow that rule. There's one other um, incident in the Voyager where they mispronounce the name. Uh, but this isn't totally abandoned later, especially in DS9. They just go with the regular naming convention, and that's mainly because it was seen as a little bit bigoted, that it was an Anglo thing that you wouldn't even need to point this out since a large majority of our human population already uses the naming convention of surname first uh, and first name last. Uh, so it was seen as a little bit odd that um, the Federation, which is supposed to be so diversified, uh, wouldn't know um such a, a simple thing so they totally abandon that um and uh the earring that ro wears um is on her left ear uh and the men in the episode were on the right um uh, but ds9 would sort of would standardize that to everybody wearing it on the right ear except for those that are a part of um uh, a special little group called the paul wraiths uh and they wear it on their left um, so that would be a big change. Um, and it's also in this, uh, uh at the beginning and, and through the first half of DS9, the earring itself is nothing more than a cultural affectation. It's not until midway through DS9 that it actually becomes a symbol denoting, um, the, uh, the Jara. I didn't watch DS9, so I don't know if I'm saying that right, but it, the caste system of the Bajoran. So it let you know what part of the cast they were in. Um, and uh, they don't mention the prophets at all. So it was an idea that hadn't uh, been seeded yet in uh, Enterprise, but would become a huge part of uh, DS9. And that is all from the Nemesic Files. <laughs> Fantastic. Eric, what was happening with our guest stars of Newt? Well, as Jimmy mentioned, we last saw Michelle Forbes when she convinced her father, David Ogden Styers, to kill himself. What a nice, nice lady. Um, <laughs> prior to this and, and that particular thing, she had become known uh, on Guiding Light. Uh, and uh, she's just fantastic. Like, I, I couldn't get over how immediately great she is as Ensign Rowe. Uh, but we'll talk a little bit about her major successes in both indie film and regular television. 
she was a regular on some of the greats of the 90s, like Homicide. Uh, later on, True Blood. Um, she was a regular towards the end of that. She was stellar in the first season of The Killing, uh, winning a Saturn Award for Best Supporting Actor there, and uh, highly recommended. Such a fantastic show. Um, Battlestar Galactica, she became uh, known as one of the admirals there and in the uh, Razor television movie as well. I remember her primarily from indie films like California and Swimming with Sharks, both of which she is unbelievably wonderful in. She's just an all-timer. Check all her shit out. Now, the best barber in Starfleet, and <laughs> Riker should know. He's been to all of them. Uh, Ken <laughs> Thorley. An immortal bit actor, not a long career and not a lot of credits, but everything that I recognized in there, I remembered him immediately. One of my very favorite movies that we've talked about uh, last time we had a Cardassian on here with Time Winters, because he's also wonderfully featured in it, is Defending Your Life. And he plays the sleaze ball at the Japanese restaurant who got shot in the head. Some putts mistook me for an animal, he says. He also invented the phrase totally all nude. Uh, in those uh, restaurants near the airport that uh, uh, our friend um, Albert uh, Brooks was kind enough to remember for him. Fantastic in that movie, great little scene. And the other big one I want to talk about is the fact that he was the exterminator who made such a bad end at the beginning of Men in Black. This dude had some good fucking times on set, passed away far too young. I'm sorry, Ken Thorley, we will remember you as Mott forever. Then we go to the Admiral Cliff Potts, who was a hugely successful TV actor in the 70s and a bunch of shows that I had never heard of, which is fun. Um, he was probably best known for the uh, genre fans in All of Us as one of the dickheads in Silent Running who paid a high price for his enmity and teasing of Mr. Bruce Dern, one of the scariest PG movies ever made. And I highly, highly recommend The Ground Star Conspiracy, where he's terrific with young George Pappard in one of the great conspiracy theory uh, movies of the 70s as well. And we finish with Gold Dolak, Frank Collison, who I defy you to look him up without makeup and not go, oh, that guy! <laughs> Just a terrific goofball character actor, and that voice is absolutely um, uh, easy to identify as well. Uh, his biggest success was probably the goofball um, uh, guy in Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman. Um, and he's done tons of stage and, and was a founder of a couple big theaters in LA. Always, always memorable. Uh, enjoy his work. Uh, all the way through to today, in the present day, you can find him out there on the uh, strike lines with many of our compatriots. Uh, long may he reign. That is all I'm going to talk about today in terms of the guest stars. Thank you very much. Let's dive into the episode. Uh, when we start, Picard is getting said haircut and it is a fantastic bit of physical comedy. I love the turning of the head. Everything is sharp and clear. There's rules of three happening. I'm just a, I'm just a fan of the whole bit. Um, before we move on from him, uh, Eric, you're, you're our resident clown. Uh, anything you have to say about this little bit that we have at the, at the beginning? I mean, it's the classic, it's the classic thing you do when you're doing the scissors is you never actually cut any hair. 
It's, <laughs> it's, you absolutely have to play it that way. You, you make the noises, you do the thing, but you, the guy can't see what you're doing to his hair. So you don't actually cut it. And then coming back and finishing it off by uh, making the sideburns, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, even is, is just perfect. He needs to be in charge and he is, and uh, it wouldn't be half as fun as it is without the reaction shots of uh, Captain Jean-Luc Picard. <laughs> Jimmy. Uh, this is canon now, but Mott is the reason that everybody in Starfleet has the pointed sideburns. <laughs> he's the creator of the pointed sideburns. Uh, and that's, that's why Absolutely. he's thought of as the best barber in the quadrant. Trendsetter. Love it. Yeah. Canon. I love that they had the, everything else in this scene is like, uh, you know, the technology that we have now with the things, except for the sideburns trimming, which, which tracks. You kind right? of use like, the for the sideburns. It's, <laughs> right. it's a precision thing. Yeah. Uh, and you're totally right. Patrick Stewart's uh, straight man, uh, you know, being upset with all this makes this so funny. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Suddenly there's an emergency distress call uh, somewhere by the Kardashian border. Or was that the, uh, hey, when I hit my shoulder, you give me a call so I can get out of whatever situation yeah. I'm in. <laughs> uh, Picard and Riker go on to the, uh, onto the bridge together and bond a little bit over the barber. So I hear you've been uh, talking strategy uh, and more I've been talked at strategy uh well, he told him and... not to settle so close to the cardassian border too like, right that was, that was such that a great ending line. <laughs> he knows everything he does he does uh i like how so... he we didn't talk about it specifically but i love how he's like you were really lucky the last time you met the fucking fake vulcans don't you know lucky you got out of that one he knows yeah everything. for sure so great then a ship flies out and says the Bajorans claim responsibility. Credits. When we come back, uh, Admiral Kennelly has joined us on the ship and he has a Kardashian virus, which sounds like a euphemism to me. Mm -hmm. Broke the internet. <laughs> Picard makes him some ginger tea with honey, which is lovely. And they talk about how sympathetic the Admiral is to the plight of the Bajorans, but they are hurting their cause by attacking the Federation. Kennelly wants Picard to stop the Bajoran terrorist leader Orta by any means necessary. By any means necessary, says Picard. By any means necessary, repeats Kennelly in my brain. <laughs> <laughs> you can't handle all my means. <laughs> Suddenly we get a call from Riker that an Ensign Rolaren is waiting to beam aboard. Picard is super pissed immediately because he remembers that uh, she was on the Wellington. And we hear that she has had to been released from prison in order to been brought aboard. Uh, and the Admiral says, hey, she's Bajoran. I think she'll be helpful to you. Uh, Roe arrives, Riker makes her take out her earring, which is culturally insensitive. And I'm like, this is not what the Enterprise is about. What is happening? What do y'all think of this uh, post-credits scene? Well, the first thing that popped in my mind was something that I love about sci-fi because of that reference point it has of who we are uh, and also who we've been as, as a people. And 
because of what we've gone through recently in the world with the pandemic, when he comes in coughing, it's like, oh yeah, you used to be able to just come in like that and you were tough, like, oh yeah, I can make it through. And now you come in and you're coughing like that. I was like, what are you doing? Like, you can't be here, one, because you're sick, and two, we're on a spaceship. Like, yeah. the air can't go anywhere, dude. Like, we're, you're making everybody sick around here. Uh, and I was just like, wow, they would not write the scene that way. And, like, how would they how would they bring that up then? Like, would they just have to do it like he 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 teleconferences in? He, like, he zooms in and, like, hey, uh, I can't <laughs> be there. Uh, in, my, in my experience, people come to work every day coughing without masks. So I, uh, I love that you guys don't have that experience. But in my particular experience, that's just what people are doing again, just like there was never a pandemic. Um, so I, I don't know that they would have to change it, uh, unfortunately. Uh, but then I also thought, like, I wanted to ask you guys, what did you think about um, the Admiral's, um, the way he uh, did his character, the, the, the actor, in this scene particularly? I, I think it's fascinating that he seems because of the premature graying, I, I will say premature because uh, he's younger than me at this point, uh, of Captain Picard versus how he seems initially so much younger and is a uh, admiral. And it seems to me that he he plays up the politician aspect of uh, what we're, we've come to expect from admirals in Starfleet over the last several uh, years. And I, I appreciate that. He, he, he seems untrustworthy kind of right away. And I'm not angry at it because I think the admirals of Starfleet have largely shown themselves to be <laughs> untrustworthy. Um, yeah. So I kind of enjoyed it. Yeah, I was, I was, I was curious how you guys would take that. I mean, I don't, it, Kate, you seem like you agreed, but I, cause I was conflicted at first, like, oh, this guy's making really surface level choices and it, it's pretty obvious where his character is going. But then there's this little thing was like, but maybe that's brilliant because he's just too dumb to not show his hand. Like, you know, like the people who just exert themselves and like, you have to show me respect. They tell you how you're supposed to think about them. And then when that ends, that last line he has, like, you will take her. Like, he's like, th there's almost like this thing of like, he, he knows, oh, Picard's actually way more influential than I am. And that pisses me off. And it's like, yeah. so I'm going to use that as in my character to like, fuck you, Picard. You have to listen to me now. Um, and I was like, oh, I don't know. Maybe it is actually really good that uh, he's, he's showing his hand because there are plenty of people who do. They, they're just not smarter not to. Right. Happy indictment day, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, Kate, like For you said, you mentioned, uh, um, Ro had to take off her earring. I was like, what the fuck is Worf getting away with him with his thing on? And Correct. And Troy never wears a uniform. <laughs> 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 She's with Riker, at least. Well, who's Riker to talk about HR in any way? <laughs> that was him just sticking it to her, right? Like he's basically yeah. being like, "Hey, we don't yeah, want you on here." A dick. But yeah, no. I, going back to this guy, I feel like Picard is outplaying him even here in this thing, like by forcing him to be as forceful as he is, right? Like I think the admiral went in here being like, "I'm going to sweet talk this Picard, and he's going to do what I want him to do." Um, but that didn't work. And the only thing he had left to do was like, well, I order you to accept her. Right. It's already been I'm done. the boss of you. Right. So you already kind of see how he's, as you said, Jimmy, like just not. Uh, yeah, a, it a is a nice setup. 
Next we see Riker being super pissed that Roe is aboard. He's in the ready room and he's just mad about it. And then Roe enters uh, without, you know, like knocking or the little meep meep uh, that sound that happens sometimes and just enters. Uh, Picard calls her Ensign Laren. She corrects him. Uh, that is Bajoran custom to have the family name first, making her Ensign Roe. Riker's like, why are you here? Uh, she's like, it beats prison, which really, really sets Riker off. Uh, she says, basically, we should get this mission over with and go our separate ways. Leaves without being dismissed. And they look at each other like, woof. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk this scene. I fucking love this scene so hard. <laughs> yeah, you said, for me, I expect her to walk that because i haven't watched this episode in forever i expect her to walk that fine line that so many people do not actually giving offense but showing that they want to but no she doesn't walk that line at all she just gives us gives offense and it's fucking great yeah it's uh for me it's conflicted i love what the actor does and i love the scene but only in the context of i know the character arc of roe now i know from beginning to the very end and this feeds into the myth of who she is and who she becomes. So I, I love seeing the seeds of it. Um, I, I only imagine that when I saw it as a younger person, I was like, who the fuck are you? Like, whatever happened to you that you don't get to talk this way just because you feel put out or misjudged or, you know, wrongly accused. Like, that doesn't give you license to behave any way you want and talk to people any way you want. Um, but sure does. I uh I what are you talking I love about it. when I was 12 watching this I was getting in trouble I was getting detentions I was suspended from school a bunch and I was like this is my person she doesn't <laughs> give a fuck about you know the regulations or the or follow the rules like she was the one in Starfleet that felt the most chaotic good that I I was striving to be at this time in my life and probably still am right so I it was a breath of fresh air and I loved the way that she put these two on their heels like these two that you feel like are 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 such good examples of of, of Starfleet officers and 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 inspire uh good acts from all around them but she doesn't give a fuck about that. She doesn't even know that. She's just like, no, you're just another one, a cog in the machine that is that has screwed me over my entire life. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. I'm gonna do what I need to do to get out of prison. That's all. That's all, the only loyalty that she has. And I thought that was such a great setup for an introduction of a character like this. Eric. Yeah, same, Greg. I was already kind of firmly ensconced in my hatred of authority and my unwillingness <laughs> or disability to keep my fucking mouth shut when I should. So I really, really like Roe right away. Jimmy, I'm with you in that I believe in the, in the moment I would have been like, you can't talk to Picard that way. <laughs> like that would have been anathema to me, right? And to their credit in, in this episode, we don't know enough about Roe at this point to know whether this, you know, is going to end up okay. We know that she was in jail. We know that something happened. We know that for Riker to be this pissed, it's gotta be something big. And it, I think they do a nice job keeping her true intentions clouded until the end of this episode, which I just think is really, 
you know, unlike the Admiral, right, where you sort of are like, right. oh, right, the Admiral. Um, Roe is kept very close to the vest. And in fact, we're led more to be be on the on the offense with her, right? Like to be like, yep. oh, I don't trust her. It's just good storytelling. Mm -hmm. In the observation room, they are trying to figure out who to contact to try to figure out this situation. Data suggests Jazz Holza might be the right choice. Crusher is familiar with him, says he's quite the dancer. Mm. Ooh, very handsome. Rose says that Kiev Falor is the Bajoran that they should talk to. Um, and they agree about that. Let's talk about this uh, conference room scene. It's fraught. Greg. I, I was just gonna say, first, these, the names in this scene alone uh, are from the Star Wars naming conventions. Uh, they, <laughs> they definitely felt that way. Um, but I just want to give a shout out to the director, Les Landau, for this shot of Roe being like behind Troy, but still in focus. And they don't give her a close up throughout all yeah. this. She's always set apart from the rest of the crew. Um, and I thought that was just really beautiful storytelling and blocking. You don't, you know, it's, you noted it right away. And she's, again, it's just like, well, yeah, you, you're all wasting your time. You're all just idiots. Don't talk to uh, these these polite people. And she makes such a great point. I know who the who the, the real powers at play are. Maybe this guy can get you. I, I don't know, this guy's not, the person that he's gonna, she's going to say is not the person that is in charge, but knows the person in charge, right? Or knows how to get to it. And that is great because I feel like uh, the other officers, Data in particular is like, well, what would you, like, what are your suggestions here? Um, and so you get to see her be apart from the team, but start to see those bridges being built uh, in this scene. Uh, and uh, that was just really done through visual storytelling. Yeah, Eric. Uh, you know, the next generation, delves over and over and over into that same well of are they freedom fighters or are they terrorists and this is a another nice example of it um i, I think it's uh, clearer when they get down there how much of this is based on uh middle eastern kind of uh, uh topical stuff going on as as they get down into the caves and stuff even the costumes become uh, emblematic of, of a you know desert culture and and clearly inspired by by Middle Eastern uh, fashion, but you know I, it could be Irish, it could be Indian and Pakistan, it could be Jewish, any any like, number of, of yeah. yes clearly, um, and it's super duper interesting all the way through, uh, and and this is the first time where I'm really aware of that where they're like. Yeah, that guy's a politician. You don't want to. You want to talk to the people, not the politicians, and and that's uh, something that comes up over and over and over in, in all of those discussions. Uh, Berman addressed that specifically. What Eric just brought up that um, the episode wasn't written with any people in mind. Uh, that was intentional because they said this is something that's happened throughout history, so you don't need to call it out like it's happened today. It's like it's always been here. You can see it throughout the pages. So, um, but, and then uh, off of what Greg was saying, I thought there was a lovely little bit, uh, the starting to turn with Picard too, because he doesn't take a hard tact on her in this one. He's calm, like Picard's calmly like, what would you do? Who would you recommend then follow? And he specifically says, following up on what Mr. Data said, what would you do? And then she has the fantastic line where she explains who it is. And she ends with, and he won't ask you to dance. 
<laughs> yeah. Which is just a <laughs> yummy line. Like to write it and to say it is just yummy. Yeah. Yes. I wanted the reaction shot of Crusher being like, oh. Yes. yes. <laughs> like, no. I think it's important if you can dance. So whatever. <laughs> well, down on the planet, Roe sees a little girl and gives her her jacket, which uh, from what I read, sent the costume uh, department into a tizzy because those jackets are not meant to be taken off that way. So they had to do some last minute uh stuff in order to make the jacket be able to come off that that shot i don't know if it was used in the um promo for this episode or not but that i felt like what is emblematic of this entire episode like that fact mm -hmm. that she's there as starfleet taking off starfleet and putting it on uh the bajoran i thought that was just a really great moment and it's an image that is stuck in my head I remember, and is that like, canon that... now that they have double communicators one on their jacket and one on their <laughs> undershirt because i didn't see her take that off and put it back on there's another one on on you know on each piece of, piece of clothing as you go <laughs> and it's a lovely silk thing like that's nice that's i wonder if that's uh it's federation issue or that's just rose taste like we got to look into uh rose closet we meet Keith Valor and he is uh, lovely and says, I condemn the terrorism and I'm not going to help you, which sets them back, right? Like they're <laughs> like, but, but what? <laughs> and he says, you sat idly by while everything mm. happened to the Bajorans. Mm -hmm. you, you, were, you were still, you were passive and now you need my help right roe tells him he needs to shut up and listen essentially uh he counters with you know you need all of these weapons i need blankets i need food so picard says i will give you blankets and i will provide for you which seems to turn keith Valor's mind uh rather quickly and he says okay i'll i'm not promising anything but i'll see what i can do to help um and then Ro, as she is leaving with Picard, talks about how she couldn't live like the ref refugees, that she will not be lost or defeated. And Picard takes that in. It's a lovely little closing scene with the two of them. Uh, but what do we think with the introduction here of Keeve Falor, besides having a great name? I think Greg. he is the, 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 this conversation is the crux of, uh, the Bajoran kind of metaphor that Rick Berman's playing with here, right? Where it is just like, you have allowed the situation to be as bad as it has become. And now you're trying to come in and help. That's, you know, you have to be there all along. And I think the great point is made now that there was a terrorist attack. Now you're willing to help. Now you're coming in. Well, then I guess it worked. And basically terrorism is, 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 is able to get your attention. So you've already, mm -hmm you know, uh, uh, screwed with the premise that, you know, you can't negotiate with terrorists. Well, here you are, you're doing it. Why weren't you here last week? Um, and I think it's just such a strong message that I, it, you know, I think it gets to Picard, but at the same time, Picard just does what he needs to do. And is like, I mean, I think he was willing to, to give all that stuff anyway. Um, maybe you should have led with that Picard <laughs> right? rather than wait to get to the end of it. Uh, you know, but, uh, it's, it's, it, I, I, this conversation is playing over in my head since I've been uh, uh, since I watched this episode a couple times, where it's just like, man, I don't, I don't. There is no good answer here, you know. Like, what do you do? Like, when you see injustice in the world happening, do you stand idly by because it's 
someone else's problem? It's someone else's issue? Or do you make things worse by wading in and trying to wage war to, against the bad guys and somehow the civilians end up getting a worse deal because there's an active war going on? I don't know. There's no good answers here. And I think this episode uh, and this conversation in particular just is underlining, hey, it's hard out there. Uh, I like that the, the, at the very beginning, we learned that they the Bajorans were spacefaring when humans were, I forget the comparison, if they were still writing or something. So they I mean, weren't standing upright. They were, oh, yeah, even yeah. more like they haven't even evolved. So, like, what a profound statement that they have, what the Cadassians have done is stolen so much away from them. Like, these people were out in space and traveling, and now they're looking for blankets. I mean, that's huge. Uh, and then I love the banter between um Roe and Valor. And I don't know if it's indicative of the Bajorans in general, because I, wasn't a uh, DS9 fan. Um, I'm looking to uh, forward to revisiting that now to see, or if it's just Roe, but she's very harsh with him and he's not like, you know, his feathers don't get ruffled. It, it seems like normal talk for him, for her to say something like that. And he just takes it in um, and deals with the next situation. Um, and I didn't know, like when I was watching, I was like, oh, I wonder if this is sort of a Jorn thing. Hmm. Like they are just, their life is so hard that they just, they just speak, directly to the moment and the truth and there's not a lot of beating around the bush because they don't have the luxury for that i don't know it it, it but it seemed like a, a little bit more of world building just in the way that they interacted with one another and ro being like i couldn't live here like i think that was also a really good character building moment right that she's like yeah. i'm not yeah i'm bajoran but i'm not these bajoran well we move on to 10 forward where ro is sitting alone crusher and troy say would you mind if we sit with you and she says yes <laughs> this is like so the good. second time crusher would be like well fuck you then and she's yeah like, you want to dance bitch <laughs> we switch to jordy bitching about roe and why is she here and this shouldn't be allowed and i have to imagine that guinan is exactly the wrong person to do that too because which she proves immediately because she says that sounds like the kind of person i'd like to get to know uh, so she goes over, sits with Ro. Uh, Ro says, I want to be alone, essentially. And she says, if you wanted to be alone, you would have stayed in your quarters, which is a, such a valid point, yes. right? Like you can order anything in your room. Right. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, she calls her on her shit, like immediately, right? Mm -hmm. As they speak uh, more and more, Roe reveals that she was court-martialed because she disobeyed a direct order and eight people died. Uh, so we find out that it was a, a pretty massive event that led to her imprisonment. Guinan says, cool, now we're friends. Roe's like, I'm not sure we are. And she's like, no, yeah, we are. Um, <laughs> then Roe gets a transmission from Kennelly, so she has to leave. Uh, what do we think of this? I mean, to have Michelle Forbes in this episode in a scene with Whoopi Goldberg, like how blessed are we to have the two of them in scene together here on this introduction? Like it's such a, I know there must have been a lot of, no, I read this. I'm not just being smart. I read this. I read that there was a lot of concern. <laughs> about introducing a new character and they said until they found the Guinan connection they mm -hmm. were having a hard time figuring out how to 
really integrate her into, you know, and, and, and make it so that she would be welcomed by the people, um, you know, the, the viewing public. Um, and I think that that was just a stroke of genius. Yep. Agreed. Absolutely. And I love Guinan's line here where she says, I think you like it. I think you are not you are enjoying the fact that all these people hate you and are talking about you right now. And I think that puts uh, Michelle Forbes does a great job of showing that surprise, but also, oh, yeah, shit, you're right. Like, I actually am doing this very performatively, aren't I? Uh, it's it's a great moment. And I think that puts um, them on on equal playing field to hopefully try mm -hmm. to try to build a friendship here by the end of this conversation. It's it's, it's brilliant. And what do we know about I, I, I forget if we find out more about the Magellan or the Wellington incident, do we find out any more about that? None I know not in this episode, but do we find out later? I don't remember, but that's the, my one complaint about this episode is that we well, don't really know what, that's happened. what I love though. Cause mm -hmm. I was waiting for them to make it. I was totally misunderstood. I'm actually, it wasn't my fault and I'm, I'm innocent. I shouldn't have been prisoned. Like I was, I thought that was kind of standard TNG. We got a new character. We're going to make make her edgy, but then take away all the edge. And that they don't do it, <laughs> and that maybe she actually did just disregard orders and eight people died. It's like, I like that that's still there and it's on her shoulders. And like, that does make her edgy. And I thought, like, I love the line that that Guinan said, like, you like it, but I didn't take it like she was performing. I took it as this is her, she's punishing herself. This is, mm. I deserve to be uh treated this way because i did cost the life of eight of my crew members um and i deserve this derision and i need to seek it out so that i get you know it's like flagellation self-flagellation like she's mm -hmm. looking to be whipped because she just feels terrible which is also fantastic because you know she has the ability for redemption because she knows you know yeah. like she wants to be better like so i i just love the whole thing and like you said Guinan being your your tour guide that that like if she's on your side man that's what you do like you seek out guys like if i can get her on my side the rest is cake <laughs> everybody else will fall in line well ro goes and gets that transmission from Kennelly, who wants to know if the plan is working the next morning, uh, it's time to beam aboard to the surface, and they find out that Roe beamed down six hours prior. How do they not know? And the terrorists never showed up. I guess, yeah, I'm like, where are the, uh, can anyone go anywhere whenever they fucking want? Like, I guess if an admiral gives you permission, then it's like your I'm invisible card. I guess so, right? <laughs> oh. That, that is true. Happened. I didn't think about that. She does mention that later that she got that permission. But Jesus, that's some poor record keeping. We already um, know there's a lot of holes yeah, in the enterprise true. security <laughs> <laughs> from anywhere from their laser banks all the way to the holodecks. Like there's Remember, a lot for, that needs to be for done. some reason. There's no O'Brien there, so I've got to think that's part of it. Like O'Brien mm, oh, sees yeah. everything. It's this right. Collins fella. Yeah, that's this right. fucking guy. We don't even know what so his name called. is. That's right. It changes. <laughs> no wonder they all got tracked down and killed in the <laughs> novel. <laughs> they beam down to where Roe beamed down, and it's straight into a cavern. Uh, they go searching and split up. 
and they can't communicate with each other. Uh-oh, Eric. Uh-oh. Jimmy, do we have some sort of listing of all the different things tricorders can do? Because that motherfucker just knew somebody walked through that room 10 hours ago. <laughs> that is really, I know. That was new. That was brand new and totally made for that moment, right? <laughs> yes. It's like the best footsteps detector in the world. It's like the molecules yes. have been jostled <laughs> exactly <Right>. 10, <laughs> 10 hours ago. <laughs> I love it. Ridiculous. Uh, they go to find Troy's like, uh oh, the communicators aren't working. Let's go find them. And then, uh oh, armed Bajorans everywhere. Uh oh, this set, what need to get painted. Uh, these rocks aren't going to uh, be real enough for us today. <laughs> I <would> th <laughs> this cave, cave. The cave looked really fake to me. That's all. I lo it looked like they were on a set, uh, which, uh, of course, they it's were. Mm -hmm. It's true. It's yeah, true. I don't know if that was lighting or what, but it, it, or maybe it's because of the um, the remaster. Like they're you know we're seeing it in much more detail than we would normally, but it, it very much was like mm, yeah this. But you know it's odd because the 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 scenes uh, from the Bajoran camp were actually filmed in the exact same location as uh, last episode. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Dimok, so why not uh, just use some rocks there? Kick Good rocks, question. as they say. Well, Orta emerges, and his face is mutilated, and his vocal cords were cut, and he looks and sounds awesome. Yeah. And Picard is super pissed at Ro, and Ro's like, look, I just came down to convince him to listen to you, and they're all pissy, pissy at each other, and then Orta was like, oh, and by the way, we didn't do it. Oh, the whole road thing. I just immediately started thinking of Big Lebowski. He's like, look, man, I have information here. <laughs> it's come to light. <laughs> but I, so I Which love... is cool. <laughs> Which is cool. <laughs> um, I love the bad guy. Not the bad guy. But or what's his name? Orta. Or Orta. I loved him, and but I hated the reveal. Like I love the scar and why he got it, and you know how he, his voice. But the reveal thing, where it's like half, and then you see a little bit more, and it was like, and they took my vocal cords, and a little bit more. It's like, is this your rehearsed thing? Like you do this for everybody? Like you have a ceremonial way of exposing what the Cardassians did to you? It, yes, it, it's his elevator it. pitch. <laughs> <laughs> it's his programming, right? It's What's it going to take to get you into this timeshare? <laughs> but he was a cool dude. I'd yeah, love to was. see him more. Like, he's a guy, if there's a Star Trek card playing game, he's one of the best cards. I thought it was like they had to get some sci-fi stuff in here, right? Like this is a very a political, you know, kind of machinations episode. I think this is like we got to get some some robots, mm. got to get some scars and some, <laughs> some, some things mm. happening. Got to let people know this robot is boy. <laughs> <laughs> but I did. I was a little bit shocked that Picard took this denial at face value. Um, what? Did he build up enough trust with this guy to be like, oh no, we didn't kill those people, or is it just his delivery? Like, there was no, there didn't, didn't maybe it's just because the 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 scene ends pretty quickly here. Are we just to assume that there was some proof given that they did not do this? Uh, yeah, I bought into the idea that like during the commercial break there was some sort of 
and here's how we know <laughs> oh yeah no no it was because of the state of the of where they were as soon as he saw it he's like there's no way these people could attack a federation uh colony they just don't have the capability right which is like, the next they don't scene. have the guns they don't like they can't do it mm. it wasn't a guerrilla warfare attack like they supposedly came in with spaceships and landed in attacks like these people can't do it so he's like there's something weird and you know the admiral's kind of sus anyways yeah. <laughs> eric counterpoint that vocal thing's pretty advanced i think they uh they're hiding everything and probably did do it and the whole rest of the episode <laughs> is just uh their their way of manipulating the card <laughs> oh my goodness not canon when they get back to the enterprise on the bridge they're talking about who might have attacked solarian four and for the first time roe is like really in conversation with everyone and it's and it's free conversation right like she's freely sharing her thoughts and her ideas and picard immediately is like into the ready room Mm-hmm. confined to quarters for the duration of the mission what do you think of this tiny little section i think it's great because it, it sets up all the future right where he has to be like uh you disobeyed an, an order you know kind of again the last time you did that i mean the whole the whole implied story of line of like that you know she's dangerous by disobeying the chain of command you put more people in danger i'm not gonna let that happen for the rest of this mission yeah i loved it because we don't at this point we don't know exactly what row is so it's logical and it just makes it that more much more fun when we see the turnaround so it to me it was like this needed to be done uh, and it was satisfying yeah agree um and and it made it more satisfying for the ending that we get to see guinan shows up to rose room i hear you got grounded she says (laughs) (laughs) i bet you that was her line too right oh right but Guinan talks to Roe about the situation. I love that Roe is on her bed during this whole time. Like there's, is that very like, they are friends, right? In this moment, especially, it is very apparent that they are friends. Uh, Guinan- Especially that she's like crisscross applesauce, like her whole, like she actually kind of feels like a distraught teenager in this scene, which I, which I bought. A hundred percent. Guinan says, I also lost my home. They bond over that. Roe says, there's more going on than anyone on the ship knows, and it is more than I can deal with. And Guinan says, you know, I got into trouble once before, and if I hadn't met a man, I would still be in trouble. His name is Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Have you heard the good news? <laughs> now we start the timeshare presentation. <laughs> I was going to go a different way, Cameron. I was like, I, I trusted another bald man. Uh, and then they smash cut to the barber, uh, the Bolian barber. Like, Let me tell you, you shouldn't have done any of that. <laughs> it's great that they, uh, I love the, t- the the tantalizing bit about Guinan and Picard without going into it. So mm-hmm. a little mm-hmm. bit more. He saved her somehow. And that, you know, that's the myth. And please don't ever make a TV show about it because you will fucking ruin it. (laughs) Oops, they did. Eric? I just like how it starts where Guinan comes in and it's like, it's me, Guinan. 
not like she's not like around the corner or anything. Like <laughs> the hat alone, you're pretty memorable. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Well, Guyan takes Roe to see Picard. He argues she's and Guyan says she's my friend, which is all she fucking has to say. Yeah, which I love. Right? Yep. She leaves. Picard says Guinan is very selective about whom she calls a friend. So let me hear it all. Rose spills the beans that Kennelly wanted Roe to give Orta an incentive if they returned to the camps and didn't fight the Federation, that the Federation would unofficially supply weapons. Picard is dumbfounded. This breaks every law that they have. Uh, <laughs> Only I can break the, the prime directive. You can't. The you can't, can't, right? We haven't done such a thing since I ran Contra. <laughs> uh, Ro tells a very sad story about how when she was seven, she was given some candy and then led to the room to watch her father tortured and killed. Um, she says she was ashamed of him, ashamed of being Bajoran, um, but now she doesn't feel that way anymore. I serve the Federation, but I am Bajoran. Turns out she didn't offer the deal to Orda when she found out they didn't attack the Federation. And so Roe and Picard hatch a plan. It's going to be mm -hmm. a caper, y'all. What do we think of this very um, filled little scene? Eric? I think it's a great counterpoint, uh, and consciously so, uh, between Picard's leadership style uh, with his subordinates and the Admiral's leadership style in that first scene with Picard, where Picard pushes and pushes and pushes and eventually like jimmy said you guys like shut the fuck up this is what we're doing whereas when roe is brought in by guinan picard's like no 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 and then guinan's like well and picard goes <laughs> oh okay because it's you i'll i'll see what happens here okay fine which is such a better show of trust it gets people to follow you all that kind of wonderful leadership bullshit it was great I love the the monologue of of her telling the story of her father and, and how terrible that was. Um, but when it was beginning, I was like, "They're gonna do a slow zoom in her face, aren't they?" Oh, yep, nope, slow zoom. They're still slow zooming. <laughs> That's the only move you can do in this situation. Uh, I think it was earned. Like it was a it was a well tried and true uh, camera direction. Um, but in this case, it was really powerful. I mean, what it's it, it only because of how powerful uh, Michelle Forbes was in this in this performance, because there's there's a uh, there is a world in which a less capable actor does this speech and you don't feel for them, right? And it's a risk, and I think it actually paid off really well in in, in the scene. Yeah, it's a nice it's a nice lesson for uh, in in acting. There's a term called just say the words, and it's usually given to an actor who's overacting or trying to emote. Like just say the words, and she just says the words. She doesn't try to like, she doesn't do any little tricks, parlor tricks of catching her breath or trying to get her eyes to well up or or stutter over her words or try to see her father being uh, Why are tortured you yelling again. At me? <laughs> <laughs> There's no cross downstage. By the way, Eric has There's never no... done any of those types of acting things. I've seen it many times. Um, and it's just a lovely little masterclass on if you just say the words what the the picture that they paint by themselves is enough usually will do 50 percent of the work you need as an actor um and that's what this actress does she just says the words 
Uh, and I'm not taking away from her. Like it wasn't there. Like it was fully there. It's just, she just says the words and she's not doing a bunch of other stuff with her body to try and make you feel or so that she looks like she's distraught or sad. Um, and it's a, it's a good lesson on simplicity. And that was here, here. Acting Corner by Jimmy G. Da, 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 da. Jazz hands. <laughs> <laughs> no meaningless crosses here. <laughs> On the bridge, they're telling Kennelly everything is a-okay. We're going to transport Orta and the others by shuttle. Uh, this shuttle has no visual capabilities, and they're limited to half <laughs> impulse. So... <laughs> These are Surely. great terrorists. Right, exactly. <laughs> we got a full tank of gas. Half bag of gas. <laughs> Data is monitoring that there are two Kardashian warships uh, that are monitoring and sort of matching their movement. And eventually those warships cross the border. The Enterprise gets in the middle of the ships and they are hailed by Goldolak, uh, who I'm so glad you talked about. Eric, because what a memorable uh, little, you know, he has very little screen time, but he makes the most out mm. of it in the mm. way that you can when you have that much makeup on, right? <laughs> like there's a certain amount of uh, help that that makeup does, but he knows his angles. I'll say that, right? He knows where to put his face towards that camera to get the most foreboding look. Uh, they establish mutual goodwill between mm. each other. Nobody wishes anybody any harm, but we would like to destroy that terrorist ship behind you. Look, no big deal. <laughs> uh, Picard says, is that intended as a threat? He says, it is a complaint from your Kardashian neighbors. Oh, so good. Great mm. bit of writing. Right. What do we think of this gold dolock scene? Uh, it's a nice intro into their sort of uh, politics, right? Like they're the baddies, and that's they're really cementing it with this episode. We've seen them a couple times, but this is like, okay, these are our new baddies. Right. The Ferengi didn't really work out. They're not gonna, you know, <laughs> we're not gonna make them good guys, but they're not gonna be our villains because. So these are the new villains, and boy, do they make they're believable. They're strong. They're intimidating. Um, the one thing, like, I love the the color of the ship, that red color. So it looks like the what would be the back of the ship, but it's just menacing as it flies toward you. I think the ships themselves are a little kind of weak sauce, like the design, how it looks like a almost an oblong vacuum with a little over or outlook <laughs> on top. Like Hardware so maybe, they, <laughs> maybe they did the light show at the front to be like, you know, these aren't very intimidating so let's you know <laughs> put some menacing red lights on there but he the, the 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 dialogue back and forth it was like not only are they menacing but they're they're good with words mm. um and that makes them even more menacing so it was just fun to watch the interplay between the two captains there yeah agreed both of them with smiles on their faces the entire time pleasant as can be uh when they're talking about destroying you know right dozens of people's lives it's it's delicious and i think again directing here wise i think the camera on uh goal not ducat but whatever the lock the lock um it's like a little bit down right so you get almost his uh uh menace is coming from him uh, looming over the camera his lips are are on full display and i think it really just accentuates 
the weirdness of this of this guy's performance like he's he's uh on his toes like kind of tips forward um uh giving all these wonderful one-liners and and half truths to picard um and picard gives it right back now the thing i was wondering we whenever they're talking to people on the ship it always feels like the opposing captains are they're in close-up they're there you see them right away when we see our guys they're always like way in the back like how do how do our captain the start federation captains appear on screen do they also have the camera way up front in their face too i don't know <laughs> it's a pinned view actually <laughs> it's like a, it's yes. like the zoom call right he can control it from his armchair there picard yeah he can go like, punch he in on me the four square or whatever enhance enhance <laughs> enhance turn 80 degrees slow zoom <laughs> I mean, I'm going to talk about my dead parents. Slow zoom on me, please. In the ready room, Kennelly calls and says they have to sacrifice the Bajoran in order to keep peace with the Kardashians. And suddenly we're like, aha, there it is. We've been waiting for the awfulness. We've seen little pieces of it, but now you truly are a monster. Uh, and Picard's lazy out even more that Kennelly orchestrated the whole thing with the Kardashians in order to draw Orta out he orders picard to withdraw picard tells roe to move the ship and the kardashians go straight for the bajoran ship and destroy it kate i love that you're calling them the kardashians i know <laughs> I, I know i i call them that uh, i kardashians <laughs> <laughs> no i don't stop don't you dare stop <laughs> <laughs> uh what do we think of this little moment right before we know the plan that 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 picard and roe have this seemingly sort of back and forth between kennelly and picard and then the destroying of the bajoran ship i just want to say it's the same the same exact feeling as the one with the cardassian uh thing right like he's picard is doing the same thing where he's trying to be as pleasant and and agreeable and helpful as possible but he's really just uh disagreeing enough so that he has to get a direct order to withdraw and put it all on um the decision all on uh the admiral right mm. because there what there is a moment where picard picard could withdraw and then he would be the one who would be uh implicated or 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 you know it, it wouldn't be able to be oh no the admiral told me to do it so he had to do it the almost the exact same thing um and i just think that's a nice contrast between these two mm. scenes I love the next moment that happens, which is Kennelly calls on the private line, right? <laughs> and Picard's like, nah, I'm gonna take this in front of everybody, which up. is just beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it's just baller, it's so cool. Uh, Kennelly eagerly says, all hands lost? Oh man, what a bummer, right? Mm. And Picard says, nope, there was no one on the ship. We have fooled you. It was Rose's <laughs> idea. Uh, he tells Kennelly that the Bajorans didn't even have the warp capability to do the attack. And that's what I think they must have had the conversation in the caves about, right? Yeah. Is like, here's our ships. They run it half <laughs> impulse. <laughs> have fun. <laughs> it takes us nine weeks to get anywhere. Yes, they says uh, the Kardashians, there you are, were hoping to find someone naive enough to do the Kardashians dirty work. <laughs> Yeah, and that's how my handbags. 
this admiral's eyes go a little wide right, right where he's like oh wait did i just get played and i got played by you too oh no i'm fucked what do we think of this uppance of come what nope come up it's <laughs> Uh, now forevermore will be up in so come. That is way better, Kate. Up in so come. Uh, I have that VHS somewhere from when I was eight years old. Love it. I loved it. I don't know it. if I can keep that. The up in so to. coming were, and everybody you. here knows I love up in so coming. Yeah, it's, it's one of my Jimmy's favorite. Things. favorite. Uh, and uh, I, the only thing about it is that we don't really get to see it. It's just implied. And then they later say, you know, oh, he'll probably be court-martialed. Right. You know, I wanted to see some people march in and like yes. take him away. <laughs> Maybe even black bag him. Oh, shit. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Nice, Jimmy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, back on the surface of the planet, Picard and Roe are talking basically about how awesome Roe is. Uh, he says, you know, I see qualities in you that could be harnessed and molded. Uh, they're, they're, what you show is in the same qualities of the top, you know, folks in, in Starfleet. You're not there yet, but you could be someday. He says, you could learn a lot from Starfleet. She says, I always thought Starfleet could learn a lot from me, which is fantastic. Boom, right? um and then she says she'll stay on one condition and she puts the earring back on and he literally beams at her he just it just radiates from him right and that is the end of the episode what do we think of this nice little close where we find out there are two to beam back aboard i thought it was great that she says uh that line that you just called out that like they learned something from me because i was gr gr uh bristling at him saying like i'm gonna mold you and make you a better person inside i'd be like "Fuck you dude i'm already a person like uh, you know <laughs> I, I you only are in this position with what happened because of what i did i don't need your molding so Maybe that's a little bit too much, but I'm glad that she kind of, wow. she's like, yeah, no, I feel like I can exact some change here and have this, uh, you know, uh, I, I feel like I could do, um, find an environment under Picard in which there is a, uh, a way to, to teach Starfleet some of the, the ideas and things that she has. So without that line, I think I would be a little bit more pissed off by this ending, but mm. because she's like, no, I'm going to stick it to you also. Now that I have you giving me an offer, my counter offer is uh, give me some more freedoms and let me be who I am. Yeah. Eric? A counter offer is go fuck yourself. <laughs> I, <like it. laughs> I, I have enjoyed uh, the, the little window we've had into uh, teenage Greg's um, yeah. <laughs> discipline problems. It's been lovely. <laughs> I'm beset by anarchists. <laughs> well, let's let's finalize our thoughts on this episode, starting with our resident bad boy, apparently, Greg Tito. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh I I remembered the introduction of Ensign Rowe, and I remembered this episode, but it has been a hot minute since I have watched it full and it is i think one of my favorite introductions of a new character uh and a great piece of writing i'm gonna give it 10 out of 10 
earrings on both ears. Doesn't matter what side you wear it on because you are. Is that 20? That's 20. That is a 20. Um, yeah, this, I don't know if this just hit me That's at the right moment of, of where I want to burn it all down kind of moment, but I love uh, the performances. I love the writing of this. I love the direction. I think it's a really, really solid, uh, you know, allegory without being a direct allegory to, to any particular people, as we mentioned, but I saw so many, you know, uh, echoes of, of, uh, historical things happening in our culture and i feel for uh that wanting to to change it from the inside uh kind of um you know just emotion that that ensign row laren brings to this uh and it's fantastic it's a wonderful piece it's what sci-fi is supposed to do which is make commentary on our own lives and our own history and and make us uh, consider it in a different way uh, through the guise of um, this, uh, these characters and these 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 storylines that are all made up, like it's all it's all fake, but it's not. It's all real and it's amazing, and I love it. So ten out of ten for me. Fantastic, Jimmy G. Uh, I can't quite give it a ten, but I will give it nine point nine. <laughs> robot voices, <laughs> uh, and the the episode didn't really impact me like the way um that darmok did like i i didn't feel it um so my whole reason for giving it 9.9 aren't because of its emotional impact it had or even its storytelling it's because it is the foundation from which a whole other star trek series will rise up from so you know ds9 pulls from this makes the Bajoran uh, storyline essential throughout its several seasons. And that's pretty uh, incredible that um, you can trace it back to this episode and they decided to run with it. And that's, you know, pretty special. And like we've talked about, do you need to see this? Like you do, especially if you're going to watch past uh, TNG, this episode is your source material you need to start with. So 9.9 for me. Fantastic. Eric Curry. Wow. Uh, I'm, I'm, I love this episode. I'm not going quite that high. I'm going eight full plus one more half for a total of eight and a half uppances have come. And, um, <laughs> and you just said that so that had to stay in the, uh, in the episode, didn't you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is a fantastic episode for all the reasons you said. <laughs> for the special genius of the character of Rolaren um, and uh, the extraordinary joy I had discussing it with you three. So eight and a half. Fantastic. Uh, I am going to give this, uh, oh, this is so hard. Uh, 9.75 uh half impulse ships so i'll let you do the math on that one <laughs> i love this episode and i feel like i want to go back and watch it again for the first time right without mm -hmm. all of the knowledge that i have about how important this episode is and i but when i try to watch it with those eyes you know first of all it's impossible but it's just a great fucking episode and it's a great fucking introduction right we've had um a lot of guest stars where we were like are they trying to make this guest star a 
some are you trying to make this person something right uh and here it is just so welcomed and i have to say for 1991 allowing a character to be this um brash and at first unlikable and be a woman is really fucking fantastic mm -hmm. and really rare um that you would have and that they don't soften those edges um especially not in this episode um we don't find out oh uh you know like you were talking about greg being a, a little disappointed that they didn't talk about why she disobeyed those orders i kind of like jimmy i love that we don't know because it makes her complicated it makes her difficult and as you talked about jimmy um and eric and and greg um when we have these when we have the directive from the creator of the show saying everyone needs to get along <laughs> right there should be no there should be no fights amongst them uh i think that we see the limits of that right and and certainly like i admire that the the feeling and sentiment behind why he said that and why he wanted something to be more ideal but it can lead to staleness and it can lead to homogeny and it can lead to sort of repetitive storylines and so introducing this little bit of chaos this little bit of mischief goddess into our lives is just such a welcome uh breath of fresh air so i'm all for it um and i have uh been sweating intensely this entire time and now my pants are wet Ooh, let's cool down oh my gosh right, <laughs> right. <laughs> thank you so much for riding along with us on this episode of re-engage next week we continue our mission with the next episode of the fifth season of star trek the next generation Follow Reengage on Blue Sky and the site formerly known as Twitter at ReengageTNG to get updates when episodes are published. You can follow our various cultural bridge officers. Kate Yeager is at Yeagerlicious. Eric Curry is at Eric Falls Down. Greg Tito is visible at GregTito.com and at GregTito on Twitter and Blue Sky. Jimmy G is at the Jimmy G on Insta. Reengage is edited by Greg Tito, Kate Yeager, or Jimmy G. Logo artwork is by MojoJojo underscore 97 on Twitter or Mojo97.com. Theme music is by Ryan Marth. Thanks for listening. Join us next week as we re-engage. <laughs>